right, good morning, Shiloh. How is everybody doing this morning? You guys are looking good. We're going to take an opportunity and look into the camera and welcome those of you who might be watching at home as part of our online campus at ShilohOutreach.com. And a big shout out to you ladies at the Claiborne County Detention Center. We love you, your family to us, and we're so glad that you're with us this morning. And normally we would uh, say a big hello to that crew over in Tazewell, but uh, Pastor David is over there cracking whip on them this morning. So, but we are one church, wherever you are, so let's just take a, a second and come together collectively and give God a big round of praise, can we? Amen. Well, here we are. Can you believe that we're in the first week of spring? It's like this year is zipping by, but I am not going to complain about these 70-degree days. I'm loving those. We've got another beautiful day today in store. we uh, we got Easter right around the corner. Uh, I love this time of year. We're gearing up for those Easter services here at Shiloh. And uh, to that end, anyone who wants to help stuff Easter eggs after the second service, they need all the help they can get down at the gym at the bottom. They'll feed you pizza. So go down there and give them a hand with that. But it's a, it's a great time of year here at Shiloh. And, but right now we're in the middle of a series that I have just thoroughly enjoyed, Letters from Jesus. And we've been talking about this anchor scripture out of the book of Revelations. And pastor has been hanging on that for the past couple of weeks, and it's it set us up for, for these messages. So we'll go to those verses and just jump right in this morning, Revelation chapter 2. And this, this is a letter that Jesus has written to the church in Ephesus. And in turn, to, to the collective church today, us. So it reads, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, you have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, here it is, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So we look at these scriptures and we see, we see Jesus acknowledging the church and the work that they've done and the ministry that they've been involved in. And he even recognizes them for the, their perseverance and not giving up. But then in all of that good, he exposes real underlying issue there in verse 4. He says, you have lost your first love. So that idea of losing your first love, I want to hang on that a little bit this morning. And, and don't, don't look around or don't raise your hand, but I want you just to think for a second. Do you remember your first love? Do you remember what that was like? Because I do. I was in my early 20s. Uh, actually, I met her right out in the church parking lot out here. She actually came with a buddy of mine, but that didn't last long. It was one of those, it was one of those first, you know, love at first sight kind of moments. And I saw her, and I thought, man, I've, I've got to have her. I've got to have her. She was beautiful. And, and sure enough, a few weeks later, I got her. I spent all my time with her. I spent all my money on her. And I will never forget her. And actually, I got a picture of her this morning. <laughs> Just look. I'm telling you. 1997 Camaro, 30th anniversary edition. Look at those racing stripes, y'all. T-tops, I know. Man, I love that car. Handled like a dream. Whew. I better move on. My wife is giving me the look over there. Keep it rolling. But 
But do you remember your first love, really? And, and even, even more than that, do you remember your first encounter with the love of God and what that was like? It seems like sometimes as we get older, we, we tend to lose touch and we, we forget about some of those firsts in our life. But for me, I will never forget what, what I think of as my first true encounter and experience with, with God. And I was 12 years old. It was a church youth camp. You've got to love a good church youth camp story, right? But that experience set the tone for my teenage years and even really just my entire life. I became so close. I couldn't get enough of them. I fell head over heels in love with God. And I came home and, and I heard people talk about uh, a prayer closet. And I thought, well, I've got to have one of those. So I went home and I cleared out a little spot in the bottom of my closet and I would go in there and I would pray and I would, I would read and I would turn on my, my 1992 Don Moen Hosanna Integrity cassette tape, if you remember what those are. And man, I would just spend time with God. I was reading every Benny Hinn book I could find, watching old revival videos. I was all in. And for the most of my teenage years, me and Jesus, we were, we were tight. And until one day we weren't. As I grew older and, uh, and things began to change in my life, and there were, there were some things that happened at church that just kind of pushed me away, and, and other things in my life started to fight for my attention, and slowly but surely, I drifted away from God. And I lost that first love, just like the church in Ephesus that Jesus calls out. And like them, I was still, at some point, I was still working for God, and I was engaged in church. But I had lost that first love. And even that eventually fizzled out completely. And I found, found myself in a position where it felt like even having a relationship with God felt awkward. There was that much distance that, that crept in. So while I, I can't say that I fell into any kind of drug addiction or, or anything like that, but that passion that I had as a teenager, was gone. And I had lost that first love in my life. So, how did I get there? When I look back on those times, and, and even, even beyond those years, any instance in my life when I felt a disconnect from God, and I step back and ask myself, how did I get there? I, I've always come to one conclusion. There's always been some sort of breakdown in communication that has caused a separation in the relationship. And that's the case whether it's our relationship with the Father or our relationship with each other. So I want to challenge you today to think about our relationship with God and how that parallels our relationship with one another. You know, my wife and I, we have, we have an amazing relationship She's been my, my best friend going on you know, the 14 years that we've been married, and, and I am crazy in love with her. But what would happen if one night we were having dinner, and I just, I just stopped talking to her for that evening? And then, and then maybe, maybe the next night or day goes by, and I don't text her through the whole day. There's a little bit of separation. What happens if she comes downstairs and she doesn't find that morning cup of coffee that I always have waiting for her. 
Guys, a little side note, you want to score some brownie points with the honey? You have her a hot cup of coffee with whatever foo-foo creamer she likes in there. You have that ready for her? But what would happen if things like that caused separation in our relationship long-term? I mean, we know what would result. So I would submit to you today and grab a hold of this. I would submit to you today that the health of our relationship with God, and really each, with, with each other, the health of our relationship will always be measured by the health of our communication with Him or one another. So when we talk about communicating with God specifically, ultimately we're talking about our prayer life there, because that's how we commune with God, right? It's our prayer life. So today, I just want to be transparent and just share, share with you my experience. And I want to talk about some truths related to, to prayer and what I have found applicable in my life when it comes to reestablishing God in that first love position and strengthening that prayer life and that communication with Him. So the first truth that I found is this. Simply that God desires a relationship with us. And that might seem so hard to believe sometimes. We, I think sometimes we, we fall into this, this idea that God is just out there pulling the strings of the universe and he's sitting on his throne in heaven and, and he's just too big and too large to have anything to do with, with us minions down here on earth. And it can't be further from that. From, from the start, it was always God's intention. And God designed and created us specifically with the purpose that we would have communion and fellowship with him. And this goes all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis 3, speaking of Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And imagine taking an evening stroll with God. And that was his intention. He wanted that type of relationship. And of course, sin crept in and, and destroyed that. But even beyond that, he was still trying to make a way. As Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, God spoke to him specifically and said, look, I want to build, I want to build a place where I can come down and be in the presence of my people and they can be in my presence. So he gives, them, he gives Moses this plan for the tabernacle. And we see this in Exodus. He says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. God just wanted to be with his people. Have you ever just wanted to be with your people? Even beyond this, we fast forward. In the ultimate act of love, and in the ultimate act of still trying to be with his people, God sends his son, Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, the word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. It's always been God's intention to have fellowship with us with you, with me. Everybody say, with me. Even now, even in times in my life when, when I, I feel that separation and I feel that distance, 
And, and I know that, that, that Jesus is on the outside, just peering through a window saying, I want to be in there with you. And in Revelation chapter 3, we find, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, let him open the door and I will come in and dine with him and he with me. He just wants to be a part of your life. The second truth that I've come to discover, and Pastor has kind of, uh, he, he's kind of talked about this over the past couple of weeks, prayer being a discipline. And sometimes we think that, you know, if God wants us to be engaged in prayer, and it's such a crucial part of our walk with him, then it, prayer should come easy, right? Then why is it sometimes so difficult to establish a daily routine and a daily prayer life? And here's the conclusion that I've come to in my life. Prayer is a spiritual action. It is a spiritual action. And anything that is spirit is always going to run counter to the natural flesh and carnal part of, of us as humans. And in Galatians, Paul talks about this struggle between spirit and flesh. In Galatians 5, he says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And for many Christians, we talk about the spiritual disciplines in our lives, and, and oftentimes prayer is one of the most challenging. Last week in his message, Pastor David talked about the importance of having the daily impartation of God's Word in our life and making that a routine and a discipline. And, and sometimes prayer can even be a greater challenge. Because, you know, there's one thing, you know, to have a, a physical you know, book in your hand and you're able to, to flip those pages, that's a tangible thing. It's right there in front of you. Now, you still have to have the, the Spirit of God convey the message to your heart. But then it's another thing when we pray. When we pray, we're praying to a God. Remember, it's a spiritual action. We're, we're praying to a God that we don't see, at, at least... In my prayer time, I, you know, he's not like there in the room with me physically. If, if, if that's happening with you, I need to talk to you, and uh, we're going to hang out a little bit more. But we're praying to a God that we don't see, expecting or looking for results that we have no control over, and that is an act of faith. So prayer requires faith, and, and because of that, prayer, prayer runs contrary to that natural part of who we are because it's a spiritual act. And that makes it so difficult to do sometimes. And Paul understood this principle. In Colossians 4, Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer. And that word devote there means to persist in and to give unrelenting care to. And there's this idea of, of nurturing and cultivating and he says it again in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, Rejoice always and delight in your faith by unceasing and persistent, be unceasing and persistent in prayer in every situation. Be thankful and continually give thanks to God. So this idea of nurturing and cultivating. Do we have anybody who's a, a gardener? You like to deal with, you, know, you like to do your flowers, and and I know Pastor Stacy, if she was here, she would raise her hand. Uh, now, where are my people that could kill a fake plant? Yeah? 
Yep, two hands back there. I saw that. I think about this concept, and I think about my mom. I loved watching my mom tend her flowers. Man, she had a green thumb. There'd be people bring her plants that were on their last leg, and, and she would work a miracle, and those things would, you know, she'd bring them back. And she had this one plant that it was so ugly. It, it was just, to me, it was just this big green weed, and, and my, my sister can attest to this. But this one plant would bloom one night per year. The rest of the year, it was just this ugly green thing. But my mom would tend to that thing. She had her regimen. She would water it. She would nurture it, fertilize it. She would talk to it, which I thought was a little creepy, but it, it worked. And sure enough, one night a year, she would see this thing start to open up. And she knew that that was the night. And she would just tend that thing through the night. She would get her camera out, and she would take pictures, and that thing would open up, and it was the most beautiful flower you'd ever seen. It was called a Christ in a manger flower. And it was gorgeous. And I think about that in relation to our prayer life and the, and the need to nurture and to cultivate a routine daily in our life. And, and for me, and it's different for everyone, but for me, it's in the morning. That's my time where I've, I've got to set the tone for my day and I have to try to get up and, and uh, you know, just get alone with God and shut out the noise and the voices. And we, we see Jesus, there's so many references in the New Testament of Jesus doing that very thing, just getting alone by himself with his Father. We see an example of this in Matthew 14. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. If you ever wanted to do that, just get in a boat and go off by yourself. But Jesus knew the importance of shutting off the noise, shutting out the voices, and getting alone with the Father. And for me, I have a daily need for prayer because I have needs daily. And, and again, it just sets the tone, and there's such a difference in those days that, I, that I, I'm not able to do that. Psalm 5 says this, says, In the morning, O Lord, hear my voice. In the morning, I'll lay my needs in front of you and wait. The third truth that I've learned about prayer is this, is that prayer will always direct us back to the heart of God. You might say, Chris, sometimes when I pray, I am not even thinking about getting closer to God. I've got a need that I need him to intervene in, and, and I've got a request, and I need him to move. But even in that, here's the truth, is that when you pray, remember, that prayer is, that's a spiritual act that requires faith. And when you pray as children of God, you quicken the heart of the Father. You may not even feel like anything is happening, but like any good father, God is going to respond to the cries of his children, and he hears you, and he is responsive to your needs. Because that act of faith comes from our spirit. It's going to evoke a response from the Spirit of God. First John says it this way, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Psalm says it this way, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help, and from His temple He heard my voice, and my cry to Him reached His ears. So how does prayer bring us back to the heart of God? It's because it's in prayer 
That's the time when we allow our will and our desires to align perfectly with the will of the Father. And we lay down what we want and we pick up what he has intended for us. And Jesus, more than anyone, knew the importance of of this, staying connected to the heart of God. We see him in Luke 22. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So what do we do? How do we respond to God when we find ourselves in the same position as the church in Ephesus, where we've lost that first love, that passion that, that burns so strong, and those lines of communication between us and him have just broken down, our prayer life has eroded. What do we do? I would challenge us to look back to those verses in Revelation and just see what God said to the church in Ephesus. In verse 5 of chapter 2, Revelation, he said, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So I see three things there. First, I see, consider how far you have fallen. In one translation here it says, remember the height from which you have fallen. And you know, it sounds simple, but before we can rekindle that fire and that passion that we had as new Christians, we have got to be able to first recognize where we are and how bad our spiritual status really is, and more importantly, how did we get there? Now, I remember those days as a teenager that you know, I would spend hours seeking God and, and the discipline that I had then, and thinking back now, I think, how far have I come from, from that spot? And how did I get here? And the things that I could learn from, from little teenage Chris, who, who just kept it simple and just sought the heart of God. Psalm 139, we see David crying out. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. He's saying, Lord, tell me what's wrong here. Search my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You know, it's never an easy thing to take a, a, an honest, introspective look at our lives and just take stock and inventory of, of just where we are spiritually and how we got there. But it's crucial to replacing God as the, in that first love spot. So we consider how far we have fallen. Secondly, repent. Jesus tells the church to repent. And we've talked about this word the past few weeks in this series. And Pastor David has talked about how this word means to turn and to change your mind and your purpose. And that, that 180 degree turn, that visual. And when I think of the word repent and repentance itself, I think about the story of David, King David, when, when he was in his palace one day and he walks out on his balcony and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba on a rooftop and she's bathing. And he allows his eyes to wander and lust fills his heart. And that lust in turn leads to murder and this separation from God. And it's just a terrible situation. But David considered how far he had fallen. Remember, we just looked at the verse. He said, search my heart, O God. Tell me, how far have I fallen? 
And then in a beautiful prayer of repentance, in Psalm 51, David cries out and says, God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And what a terrible thing. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. David is saying, God, forgive me. I know how far that I have fallen. I recognize that I removed you from that first love spot in my life. But God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't separate me from your presence. What a terrible thing to be separated from the presence of God. David knew the importance of repentance because he knew that God would be faithful in responding to that cry of repentance. And we see this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, there's that repentance, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. So consider how far we've fallen. Repent. And the third thing I see there is do the things you did at first. And when I think about this, this idea, I think back to my time as a, as a new Christian, as a, as a teenager, and I, I think about, man, how awkward did those prayers have to be when I was praying those for the first time? And just, just how, you know, I'm sure that God was just chuckling every time I prayed, and he thought, bless his heart. <laughs> and, and even then, you know, you think about a new relationship, you know, with your significant other or, you know, your, your first love, and those times maybe where you were on the phone late at night to the wee hours of the morning even, and maybe you, you fell asleep with the phone on your pillow, or maybe you were one of those that you were like, okay, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. And then you wait. You didn't hang up. You back and forth. And how awkward some of those, those conversations are in new relationships. But you know what? Those were probably some of the most sincere prayers I've ever prayed. As a new believer, when the only thing that mattered was, was me and him, there was probably not a greater level of sincerity in any prayer that I'd ever prayed during, than those times. And I think, I think we've just completely overcomplicated the whole prayer process because at the end of the day, all that God wants, remember, he, wants, he desires a relationship with us. All he wants is for us to talk to him. He just wants us to engage in conversation and just to let him be a part of our life. And we've overcomplicated that, I feel. And sometimes I think that we, we get the idea that we have to have this, we've got to roll out all of the these and the thous when we're praying and make it formal and processed. And, and I remember growing up, we had a guy in church that he had this big booming voice. And when he would pray, it was so eloquent. And I thought, man, if I could pray like that, I know God would hear me. Because I knew that if I was praying at the same time as this guy was praying, there's no way that God was going to listen to what I was saying. But that's just not the case. And I actually, you know, I, I struggled with that. I thought that I had to make my prayers just so formal and out of touch. Until I, I heard a speaker one time, 
He was talking about this subject, and he made the comment. He said, as children of God, when we go to love on our Father in prayer, there's no way that we can mishug God. Now think about that. As his children, if we're trying to love on our Father, there's no way that we can mishug God. We can't get it wrong. And I think about how that would apply to, to the natural. And, and me as a father myself, I've got, I've got an eight-year-old, and then I've got a little girl on the way in about seven weeks, y'all. I am ruined. I'm going to be mush. But I think about my kids, and I think about if they were to run up to me and say, Dad, can I have a hug? What kind of father would I be if I stepped back and said, you know what, no, you, you just really didn't word that the right way. Or you just, you really weren't formal enough. So no, I'm not going to get a hug this time. No. Or no, you didn't have your eyes closed. Or you didn't ask long enough. All of those things that we put, you know, those stipulations that we sometimes attach to our prayer life. When God is just saying, just spend time with me. I just want to be with you. And you know, even the disciples struggled with it. The disciples who had grown up in the synagogue and they had listened to all the traditions and all the rituals. And then when they spent time with Jesus and they saw how he communicated with his father and how he went, went away by himself and he made that a routine and a discipline. In Luke 11, we see this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, I can't help but think that his, the disciples saw Jesus praying and said, I want that. I don't want all of this stuff that, that I've seen, the rituals and the, you know, the checking of the boxes. I want the genuineness of a real relationship. And out of that, Jesus responds by giving them what I think is, is, is a template in the Lord's Prayer that Sometimes we even turn that into a ritual. And the power in that is not, Jesus wasn't giving them this prayer to, to repeat over and over because notice the disciple didn't say, he said, the disciple said, Lord, teach us to pray, not teach us a prayer. So the prayer that, that Jesus responded with was a template and was a guide and a model for connecting us with the heart of God. And when we look at the Lord's Prayer, real quickly, I see four themes in there that, that Jesus gives as a way that we can connect to the heart of the Father. So, if, so whether you're someone with, uh, who's a new believer and, and you really don't know where to start with your prayer life or you feel like you don't know how to pray or maybe you've been in this thing a long time and you just need a fresh approach and you feel like you've, there's been a disconnect there, I want to give you these four themes that we find in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus uses to connect us back to the heart of God. The first is adoration. Adoration is just simply praising God for who He is. Lord, You are my healer. You are holy. Lord, You are righteous. You are the King of heaven and earth. There is none like You, Lord. Just heaping praise on Him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
He is holy. Secondly, in that prayer, we see a theme of thanksgiving. Look, if nothing else, if you can't think of anything else to say or pray for, if you just sit down and start thanking God for everything that he has done in your life. I know for me, I could go hours and hours. God, thank you for my health. Thank you for my family. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for my healing. Thank you that I have a roof over my head and food to eat. So we see that theme of thanksgiving. Third, we see confession. Forgive us our trespasses, Lord, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I can't help but think back to to David, where, where David cried out, just asking God to give us a pure heart. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. Clean out the junk that is in my life that's separating me from you and preventing me from establishing you back in that first love position. And lastly, and notice I say lastly, is supplication. And supplication is just presenting our request before God and asking Him things that we need. Because sometimes we start with that, right? We start with that. And, but even then, God gives us the ability, Scripture says that we can approach the throne boldly and present our petitions. So, the challenge today, God is calling us back to a life of prayer, a return to our first love, which is always and will always be Him, and finding those opportunities to establish that discipline in our life where we make that happen. Now, we're, we're heading into to our Easter season here at Shiloh, and we've got, starting this Saturday, we have what we call seven at seven. That's seven nights of prayer at seven o'clock, and I can't think of a better place to jumpstart a prayer life or reconnect to the heart of the Father than that, than that week leading into to Easter Sunday. So I encourage you to, to try to connect with those days if you can, and that's in both campuses. For me, my prayer is that I get back to a point where Jesus looks at me and he says, there it is. There's that passion. There's that renewed sense of love that I felt when you were a teenager. Because in Jeremiah 2, the Lord proclaims, I remember your first love and your devotion like a young bride and how you followed me in the wilderness. And I want to get back to that place. So I have to ask the question, where, what, what about you? Where, where do you fall in, in, in all of this conversation? And like we said earlier, if we consider our spiritual state, if we consider how far we've fallen, what do we find? And maybe you were, maybe you're now where I, I was at one point and feel like you're just going through the motions. And something has stepped in and has replaced that first love. And there's something else in that position besides God. Or maybe you're here today and this whole thing is new to you. And you say, Chris, I don't, I don't know about this first love stuff. And I've never even prayed a day in my life. Well, you're here on a good day. Some of you may be feeling the pull of God, and we're going we're to give you an opportunity to respond to that this morning. So I'm going to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes.
as the team comes to, to help. So if that's you this morning, if you're in that camp of, you say, Chris, I feel the pull of God in my heart, but I've never prayed a day in my life. I've never had that encounter with him. I've never established him in that first love position, but I want to change that. We're not going to pull anybody out. We're not going to make a spectacle of anybody because that's not what it's about. It's between you and God. But I'm just going to ask as an act of faith, if that is you this morning, I'm just going to ask you to just raise your hand up with no one looking around and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. I see that. So now together as a family, because we do this as a family, you're not alone in this. Because if you've never prayed, sometimes you don't know what to pray. So we're going to ask everyone to take part in this, in this prayer and just and mean it because the truth is is that, that there's no... You can just say the words. You can say the words, but it's about meaning the words. So together, just repeat after me, Lord Jesus, today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And today, I will believe that the price you paid on the cross is more than enough for the sins I've committed. And today, I will trust you as both Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a clap of praise, church. Amen. Thank you. So we're going to take an opportunity to go back into worship for one more song. So we're going to ask you to stand, please. And I can't think of a better way to end this service. We've talked about prayer and reconnecting to the heart of God and reestablishing Him as our first love. I can't think of a better way to do that than spending some time in worship and going before his throne and saying, Jesus, it's all about you. It's all about you, God. Amen.
Thank you, Lord. Let's give him a hand clap of praise. Amen. much it cost to see our sins upon the cross. What a powerful thought. So if you find yourself being one of those that made a decision today, I just want to encourage you to, to take your worship guide and that connect card that's in there and just let us know that so we can get some first steps out for you because it's a huge decision and we want to make sure that you're supported in that. And maybe you're here today and your next step is water baptism. We've got a, a water baptism scheduled for the second service. We had water baptisms last week. We're dunking people left and right. So just jump in on that if that's your next step and, and you want to be a part of that. Just leave a phone number so we can connect with you and give you uh, the details of how, how that will, will happen and get you scheduled for that. Also, we want to remind everyone about the uh, growth track next week. It's step number one. And what Growth Track is, is that's going to give you a, an explanation about how to connect with, with Shiloh and maybe how to, to find yourself in a position where you can serve and find God's purpose for your life. And we'll walk you through what, what Shiloh's all about and give you a, you know, a peek behind the curtain, so to speak. And uh, we, we full transparency, and we just want to make sure that, that you have everything you need to make a decision there. So jump in on Growth Track next week, step one. 7 at 7 coming up next Saturday. Please, please, please latch on to that. Just jump in and start, start praying and prepping for Easter weekend. We're going to have so many people coming into this place that need God. Amen? And need a touch in their lives. Uh, remember also, got a lot going on, guys. I'm going down the list here. I'm sure I'm going to miss something. Remember, they need help with the Easter eggs after second service down at the bottom. They need help stuffing those. So if you can do that, you're qualified. So go down there and help them out. They'll feed you. Um, we're going to put our giving ways up here on the, the screen. So as, as you exit, there'll be some ushers back there. Uh, so we're just going to close today, and we'll say the blessing over the offering. And at, at the end, we'll have our prayer team up here. If you need absolutely anything, come up and take advantage of that and let them pray over you. So let's, let's bless the offering and, and, and give God praise. Lord, we thank you so much, Father, for your word today, Lord. God, I truly believe and feel, God, that you are calling us back to a place of prayer and a place of, of connecting with your word, Lord. And in all of that, you're bringing us back to a place of establishing you as the first love in our life again, God. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that, that you draw us to your heart, God. Give us that hunger and give us that thirst, Lord. And, Father, we pray a blessing over today's offering. God, I pray that you just expand that like you always do. Lord, you're so faithful. God, bless that so that we can continue your work, God. And, Father, I pray a blessing over all the families and all the people represented here today, Lord, that you just be with him this week. Lord, as we head into our Easter season and we think about the gift of you and the sacrifice that you paid for us, God. And help us to remember, God, that you desire to be with us and that's what it's all about. God, we love you and we give you praise for all things. And it's your precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, guys. Thank you.